From the newsroom of Impact Alpha, this is your Impact Briefing for Friday, June 19th. I'm Monique Aiken, host of this week's Impact Briefing. Happy Juneteenth, everyone! Juneteenth is the oldest nationally celebrated commemoration of the ending of slavery in the United States. From its origins in Galveston, Texas in 1865, African American Emancipation Day, June 19th, has spread across the United States and beyond. It is a time to collectively reflect on our past, take action in our present, and build towards a better future. As a Black woman, a child of Caribbean immigrants from Jamaica, I often think about the fact that I, and others like me, are our ancestors' wildest dreams, though the work is not nearly done. The ongoing protests bear witness to that. Clearly, much more work needs to be done to dismantle the systems of oppression that still characterize, though in new ways, modern society, and commit to becoming as outlined by Professor Ibram Kendi, anti-racist, continuing the march towards liberation. Today on the show, Impact Alpha's Jessica Pothering speaks with Jasmine Rashid about a toolkit she recently published called The Financial Playbook for Supporting Black Lives. And we also have Amy Cortese, who will profile this week's agent of impact, Aurora James. Hi, Amy. Hi, Monique. But first, here's what you need to know from this week in Impact Investing. The Global Impact Investing Network's 10th Investor Survey estimates impact investing assets to be $715 billion, up from $504 billion last year. But in a time of crisis, the GIN reported that only 18 of 122 respondents said the COVID crisis made them likely to commit more capital than planned this year, while an even greater number say they plan to cut back. Lori Spengler of Courageous Capital Advisors picked up on the survey results in a provocative post that found bold actions from the impact community are few in number and paltry in amount of capital deployed. Spengler called out impact investing's excuses for inaction in the piece, asking, how can we respond in any way other than by dialing up commitments? Read Lori's full post on Impact Alpha. Google parent company Alphabet has carved out $170 million, mostly from its balance sheet, to support Community Development Finance Institutions, or CDFIs, in improving access to COVID recovery capital for women and minority-owned businesses. It was an active week for climate investors. Copenhagen Infrastructure Partners reached a first close of 1.5 billion euros for a fund targeting wind, solar, storage, and waste-to-energy projects. Prime Impact Fund raised 52 million in program-related investments in other catalytic capital for early-stage climate tech innovations, while Pale Blue Dot raised a 52 million euro fund for climate tech startups in Europe. And fabled tech investor, Chris Saka, launched Lower Carbon Capital, which has already closed more than 20 deals in clean energy, industrial chemicals, food, transportation, building materials, and more. On the other side of the low carbon divide, oil major BP said it would write off up to 17 billion the latest in a string of write-downs of what are rapidly becoming stranded fossil fuel assets. And now for a featured story, a conversation between Jasmine Rashid of Candide Group and Impact Alpha's Jessica Pothering. Jasmine recently published a toolkit called the Financial Activist Playbook for Supporting Black Lives, with the aim of empowering anyone to spend, invest, and vote with their dollars to advance racial equity. Jessica asked Jasmine how she developed the playbook. Yeah, I think for so many of us right now, we have this opportunity to think in really concrete terms about our personal role and ongoing contributions in the movement for Black lives, regardless of what our day job is, right? 
So for me, working in the realm of impact investing, I've sat at this really fascinating nexus of learning from movement leaders, particularly immigrant movement leaders the past few years, about the importance of leveraging financial strategies for social change. Um, that's as it relates to getting investment capital out of private prisons and immigrant detention. So it's why as a part of the larger organizing strategy for that movement, we started asking consumers to publicly move their bank accounts en masse um, if their bank continues to fund private prisons and working with shareholders to leverage their collective voice in calling for investment policies that reflect human rights policies at these companies. Um, so throughout the past few years working with these movement folks, I've seen firsthand that you don't have to have a ton of money to influence money. Um, and I say this in the toolkit that regardless mm. of your personal relationship to finance, you're already making decisions every day to the benefit or detriment of Black people in the U.S. Um, just by virtue of where you bank, how you spend. Um, yeah, and those pieces you mentioned, what you invest in in the larger ecosystem. Who did you have in mind when you were writing this? Yeah, I mean, I created it really with my friends in mind, notably friends outside of the investing industry or yeah. economic justice world at large, which is why I wanted to make it really accessible. Because um, I know a bunch of folks who are already engaging in the movement in some ways and are looking for opportunities to step into their power for from all angles. Um, oh, so yeah. the way I like to explain it to me is that finance is really just a game of power mapping. So when folks are asking me questions like, who has the power to determine local police budgets or who has the power to make sure, you know, your place of employment isn't working with companies that exploit the black working class or um, who has the power to support black entrepreneurs? Like the answer is almost always that we have the power to some degree or another. Um, yeah. And then just a note on how it's formatted. Um, and this is really credit to a bunch of people who are doing amazing work right now is that, I really believe that we do a disservice when we don't employ um, art or work with creatives to make information not just accessible, but engaging. Um, I actually have backgrounds in zines and scene making has this really radical history. Um, for those who may be new to the concept, it's these self-published and self-distributed kind of little booklets of knowledge that have been really pivotal to movement making um, since the 1930s in our country. Um, and if you're on Instagram right now, in particular, you've probably seen what I'm referring to as a sort of what I'm calling a digital zine renaissance, right? So you have these 10 squares where you can swipe through um, really concise information and calls to action um, that are also really visually appealing. So yeah, I started this toolkit just really as a, my personal contribution to that wealth of information being shared over social media um, and then expanded it to that larger piece that you can find on Medium. The issues, you know, that you you touch on here, um, I mean, I think the thing that I loved about it most was because I did think first about what I could do with this uh, myself and then what my friends and family who uh, maybe don't think about activism in the financial way that we do in impact investing every day, how this could arm them to be more engaged and um, transformative with their everyday spending as well. These are issues that the impact investing community largely, and certainly you and your colleagues at Candy Group, show up to work on every day. But as we know, our field has blind spots too. And, um, and so I'm curious what blind spots and maybe contradictions you see within our own field of impact investing and how capital is being invested and what actions you would like to see from the impact com investing community on this. 
Definitely. Yeah. It's funny. Um, my, my best friend, one of her contributions to the movement this past week has been reading the statements that companies and foundations and institutions are putting out right now that will say, you know, hashtag Black Lives Matter. Oh, yeah. And then emailing said company to ask how they're going to live into that statement beyond like a one-time donation uh. to bail funds, um, you know, pulling up their senior leadership page and asking why their team is all white, you know, or questioning um, political donations to representatives that are calling for harsher criminalization of Black communities. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to premise this, that the revolution definitely includes emailers that are ready to hold you and your company accountable um, so people can match their words and their actions. But yeah, you touched on it, Jessica. I think that there are some some blind spots and there is a glaring problem specifically when it comes to organizational inequity. Um, I'd say both among impact investors, capital providers internally, and then the companies and funds we decide to invest in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, women and people of color combined manage just uh, like about 1% of the $69 trillion under management. Um, yeah. I read that 40 40, I believe it was. Black women-led startups have raised a million or more in outside financing over the past couple of years. That's 0.1% of venture deals. Um, so clearly, we have a long way to go on on just like the capital side and who's represented. But you know, even internally at Kansi Group, we're thinking about our own journey to greater equity and, and really embodying um, what it looks like, not just in terms of representation and, you know, quote unquote, diversity, but who also has decision-making power, who has ownership opportunities. Um, And for the companies and funds we invest in, it's not just about asking, you know, are there black and brown folks on your leadership team? It's really about the value you're bringing to the world, whether it's inclusive of creating living wage jobs and opportunities for wealth building um, for black communities. Like these are the questions that we need to always, always be asking. Um, and we need to view prioritizing equity at every level of our operations. It's not just a, a box to check, but really a moral obligation for all of us, whether it's thinking about who are the vendors we use, who, who are the um, other folks we're referring people to, um, so on, yeah. You know, your playbook speaks to what actions people can take based on what's already out there and what's available. Um, I'm just curious from your standpoint, what is missing and what you would like to see more of? Yeah, definitely. Something that um, family and community members and friends have asked me about that I wish I was able to curate more of is how unincredited investors can be involved, right? Um, again, like I want to be able to say that you don't have to be a millionaire to to support these businesses and invest, but in some cases it makes it very tricky if you're not. Um, so something that I was looking for was, is there are there ways in which unaccredited investors can support Black-led impact businesses using Black-owned infrastructure, right? So for example, um, are there any digital platforms that not only host and facilitate small investments into Black startups, but are actually, you know, community managed? Um, Just thinking again about every level of the kind of process of moving capital, um, ways in which, yeah, people of of really any amount of wealth can be involved. and they're looking to, to work with trusted partners who can help facilitate that process. Um, yeah, I also wanna say this is by no means a comprehensive list of actions <laughs> and leverage points. It's, it's really a starter guide to economic resistance. Um, and I think in large part, again, was made for people who may be skeptical that the ways in which they can engage money for justice um, 
skeptical whether or not that that's actually abundant. And I didn't want to reinvent the wheel. So a lot of the toolkit folks will see is that particular sections like how to buy black, where to donate. Um, I really just linked to databases that have already been thoughtfully curated by black activists. And I'm hoping that the last section, which is about really, you know, time is money, investing your time in anti-racist education will spur people to look at the experts in our fields who are envisioning a new economy where black people can thrive. Like um, Amaka Agbo, you mentioned Trista Harris. I think that we all need to be reading about how to use futurism and the tools of that. Um, for building the world we want to live in. So yeah, I think what's most exciting for me right now is that for the first time, there's a critical mass of people both in and completely outside of our industry who view budgets and view term sheets and investments as really moral decisions, right? How do we keep that momentum going? Um, It's the first time I'm seeing people use the language of divest and invest literally on posters in the streets in mass (laughs) protests, which is so exciting. Um, so yeah, my hope really is just that this, this playbook, this toolkit is just one of the ways that the impact investing community continues to share knowledge and innovative strategies in support of black lives for the long run. Now it's time for this week's agent of impact, Amy, who are we featuring? We're featuring Aurora James, the founder of Brooklyn designer Brother Velis and creator of the 15% Pledge. Interesting. So last week, we mentioned the Confluence Philanthropy Pledge for Racial Equity, which was signed by more than 70 impact investors. And today, there was another pledge for action on racial justice from 136 investors, asset owners, and business leaders. And more information on that pledge can be found at racialjusticeinvesting.org. So Amy... Tell us more about Aurora James and the 15% pledge. Sure. Yeah, she's calling on big retailers to dedicate at least 15% of their shelf space to Black-owned products. That reflects the Black population in the U.S. and the fact that so many businesses are built on the spending power of Black people. Black Americans represent $1.3 trillion in annual buying power. Her biggest win yet came last week when she signed up the cosmetics giant Sephora. Sephora carries 290 brands today, and just nine of them are Black-owned. So this 15% pledge is a real concrete call to action that is potentially very powerful. By stocking more Black-owned products, retailers can create strong revenue streams for Black business owners and help create a new generation of successful brands, as well as generating wealth in the community. In addition to Sephora, Rent the Runway has signed on to the 15% pledge, along with some smaller retail outlets. She's also calling on major retailers like Whole Foods and Target and Walmart to do more than just donate. And Aurora herself is a designer that works with artisans across Africa and Mexico. And she's got some amazing bags and shoes, I've got to say. (laughs) That's awesome. I think it's interesting that this in many ways ties back to Jasmine's playbook. And hopefully all of these pledge signatories will live up to their commitments. Because if they do, real changes will happen. So thanks, Amy. And thanks to Aurora for all that you're doing. You can find more about Aurora and all of our agents of impact on Instagram at Impact Alpha. That's it for your impact briefing this week. You can read more about all these stories at impactalpha.com. Subscribers receive full access to Impact Alpha content, including deal flow, job postings, and a Slack channel. Many thanks to Jessica Pothering, Amy Cortez, and our producer, Isaac Silk, who edited this episode and wrote the theme music. 
I'm Monique Aiken, Vice President for Programs at Mission Ambassadors Exchange. Thank you for listening and make sure you check back next week for the latest impact investing news.